congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, it may strike some of us somewhat strange that in the part of the Apostle Creed which declares what we believe about the Holy Spirit, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection and the, of the body and the life everlasting are mentioned. And the question could be asked, is it not true that these three things, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, are the treasures that Christ gained for his people? And of course, the answer can be nothing else than, yes, they are indeed the treasures, the riches, we, the people who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, have in him. He gained them for us by his sinless life and his death on the cross. But it's also true that without the Holy Spirit working with the gospel in us, no one would just have the faith to believe that they have received those riches. No one would have that faith by which we take those riches to ma and make them our own. Without the faith worked in us by the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel, we would have neither Christ nor his riches. And we will therefore look at the questions 56, 57, and 58 in this afternoon under the team. The Holy Spirit applies to us the riches we have in Christ. And we will then look on first at the forgiveness of sins, then at the resurrection of the body, and lastly, at the life everlasting. Question 56 asked, What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? And as usual, here the catechism is personal again. It is not asked, what does the scripture teach about the forgiveness of sins? Or what does the church confess us about the forgiveness of sins? No, no. What do you believe? It's important what you believe. Do you, what do you believe about it? You who from the heart confesses that you belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? And it would be really good, brothers and sisters, if each one of us here, without looking at the answer in the catechism, of course, would just, in his own word, Tell himself or herself what you believe about the forgiveness of sin, what you truly believe about it. You're so used to hear it. Say it. It's important. Why is that important? Because we not we we, we should not only know about the forgiveness of sins, but we should truly believe that we have it. Only then the answer of our catechism is a great source of comfort and reassurance for us who belong to Christ. Who belong to Christ, but at the same time are aware that we sin against him every day. So good to know, to believe, that we have the forgiveness of sins, of all of our sins. Of all of them. Not only those we think about in general on the end of the day, yeah, of course we have sinned against the Lord, but there are other sins that each one of us have that really 
bodderus, dat is toe. Niet te beliefd, die er gaan. Wel, die answer of the catechism begins with, I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, nor my sinful nature against which I have to struggle all my life. That's what we confess to believe. This belief, the Holy Spirit, worked in our hearts by the gospel. And what this answer then really means to each one of us personally is so very closely connected by what it means to us that we are sinners. We are living in a time that too many people who claim to be believers sin and being a sinner doesn't mean a whole lot. Oh yes, of course, we are all sinners. Of course, we still commit sin. No one is perfect. And we should not dwell too much upon sin. We should just not get too paranoid about it. As long as you're a believer, your sins are forgiven. Thinking about and thinking upon your sin is so depressing. It is so negative. And as Christians, we should be cheerful and we should be happy. Wouldn't we not? Problem with something like this that that is the attitude of so many people in our time that still claim to be Christians. Their joy really is in the ignoring of sin instead of in the forgiveness of it. The truth is that if one truly loves the Lord Jesus Christ, then the sins that he or she commits do bother them for the simple reason that it offends the God they love. For the simple reason that that renewed conscience that we have accuses us. See, brothers and sisters, if you do but have small sins, you only need a little savior and a little salvation. And then you're only a little thankful. And then you're just a whole lot concerned with the pleasures and the convenience while living in this world. Our sins, brothers and sisters, it is good and it is healthy to meditate upon the seriousness. Not so much, again, of sin in general, but of your own sin. It's because of your sins and mine. That God's beautiful creation groans as in pain, pains of childbirth. It's because of what we do, you and I. We don't have to think in general about the world out there. We all are sinners. Our sins brought God's only begotten Son on the, on the cross and in the grave. Our sins caused the pain and the grief and the suffering everywhere. Our sins have destroyed so much more than we are ever able to repair. Our sins can cause broken marriages and destroy childhood just as well as the sins of those who do not believe. Sins, ours too, are repulsive. They stink. The smell of death hangs on them. And then there is our sinfulness. The fact that we Although we belong to Christ, still struggle against our sinful nature, that we continue to be inclined to all evil. It doesn't go away. We love the Lord, but we keep offending him. 
is what we do and don't do. You see, if so, just for a moment, you think about your own sin, and then think about the forgiveness of those sins. Then the forgiveness of sins becomes a mighty, a wonderful thing. It becomes an awesome treasure, a, a breathtaking miracle. Because there are certainly things in our life that we did that were so ugly that we can't forget them. They, they still bug us if you think back about it. But God forgave them. And he will never bring them up again. That's the forgiveness of sins. That's what you have if you, below, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an awesome thing. Read in the answer of Akarism. And, we, and, and, and it causes great joy. God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, nor my sinful nature against which I have to struggle all my life long. It's all because of Christ's satisfaction. Christ, our Savior, the pure and holy, almighty Son of God, became in all things like us except for sin. He lived the sinless life that we were supposed to live. And he did it for us. He took it, and then he took upon himself all our sins and paid for them with his blood. And therefore God will not remember your sins anymore. Ever. Psalm 103 says, He has removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. And in Isaiah 43 verse 25, the Lord says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remember your sins no more. And in doing so, God wipes your account completely clean. And he grants you the righteousness of Christ. He writes that to your account. And just imagine that, that you would have a little whiteboard, and write that, and on that whiteboard are written down all your sins, and he comes Christ, and he wipes it completely clean, and then he writes the perfect life of, that Christ lives, and he puts on your name. And that's how God the Father looks at you, because we have the forgiveness of sins. Christ's life becomes your life. Are God's ways not beyond understanding? And so it is that before, before we go to bed at night, we look back upon our day and at ourselves, and we see nothing but failings, shortcomings, and sins. And then we ask the Lord to forgive us our sins for Jesus' sake, and he completely does so. After that prayer, you can lay your head on your pillow and have completely peace because it, there's nothing between you and God but love. That's the forgiveness of sins. The Holy Spirit works in our heart so that we believe that God now looks at us, at you and at me, as if we are completely righteous, as pure as Christ himself is. Believe that all our sins are forgiven, forgiven us. They're gone in God's sight, forever gone. On the great day of judgment, they are nowhere to be found. What an awesome, peaceful end of a day it is that you so may go to the Lord and, 
and then confess your shortcomings, your sins of the day. But also miracle, and what amazing grace, brothers and sisters. In Christ, we have the forgiveness of sins. And I hope that it never becomes just a saying, a phrase that you, so, that you just say without thinking, because it is awesome. Something to, to sing about. Forgiveness of sins is one of the four most treasures that Christ shares with us for it opens the way to the other treasures which Christ shall share with us. And that's what you look now in the next two points, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. So let's now first look at the resurrection of our body. Now one could make a case that and say that our catechism begins the answer to the question, what comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you, in a way does not address the question, especially in the beginning. Because the question asks about the resurrection of the body, and the answer begins, the first half of it, with the soul. Now, the Catechism did that for good reason in the time that it was written. In that time, the catechism of the, uh, that, the, that the catechism was written, there were many people that taught and believed that only the, our soul was important. The, the soul must be saved no matter what. And that was part of the motivation of the Roman Catholic Church to burn heretics. It was not the last little bit revenge. That was not the original intent at all, no. Just burn the, burn the body away so that the soul may be saved. So strongly they believed that, this, the, that the only the soul was important. In our time, there are still people that, that believe that and that teach that. And the result is then that they believe that the neglect of the body is, is actually a true form of piety. But the authors of the catechism without denying that the soul is important, want to emphasize that Jesus did not come in the world to only save souls, but that he came to save people. And people are made up of body and soul. Of course the soul is, import is, is important, and that's why our answer then begins like it is. And it teaches us that our souls, after this life, will immediately be taken up to Christ his head. And that's of course, by itself, great comfort. It's, it's just not true. That what the Roman Catholic Church teaches, that the soul for a time has to go into purgatory, to be purged, to be burned clean from the sins, for which they have not received forgiveness yet. It's also not, not true, as some preachers in our time teach, that the soul will go to sleep until Christ returns. No, immediately, as soon as our bodies die, our souls are with Christ and will experience heavenly blessing and peace. And we know this because the Lord Jesus promised with an oath to a criminal on the cross that he will be on that same day with him in paradise.
Dat is waar die apostel Paul speaking about his dad in Philippians 1 verse 23 tells us that and he says, I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better by far. For him, to, to die was to be with Christ. But not only our souls will be saved and receive glory. The Catechism continues and now tells us the great comfort of the resurrection of the body. It says, but also this my flesh. You see, this, my flesh, we need to understand in relation to what the Lord Jesus said about this, my flesh. Remember what he said? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The Apostle Paul, when he speaks about the flesh, he speaks about it in relation to our weakness to resist sin. And he wrote in Romans 7, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but to perform what is good, I do not find. That's that weakness, that flesh, this flesh. That's the sinful nature against which we have to struggle all our life. That old nature which, yes, is dying, but is not dead yet. And now listen. This, my flesh, in all its weakness, will be raised by the power of Christ. But the weakness of the flesh will remain in the grave. Because we will be reunited with our souls made like Christ's glorious body. Just as we read it in 1 Corinthians 15, the body that is sown, that is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it will be raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body and is raised a spiritual body. On the day that Christ returns, our body and soul will be reunited and then, and then they will be one in such harmonious, as, harmony as, as we here and now never know. For here our spirit, our soul battles often with our flesh. But then we will be like Christ's glorious body. Everything glorious and, and harmonious. Everything working together. Nothing opposing each other anymore. Think about that inner peace that, that will be there. We will be like him in the sense that sin had no grip on us any longer. Sin will not any longer cloud our understanding of God's love or of his justice. And we will never distrust his wisdom again, never doubt his strength, and all our questions here have become answers, answers more glorious than we could ever dream of. Our Father's will, we shall be able to obey perfectly and with great joy. Our bodies will be perfect. There will be no more sickness nor pain for the time for the first time, we will fully know what perfect health means. No matter how healthy we may, might feel now. For then our body and our souls will be, again, in perfect harmony with each other. And what a great comfort it is, brothers and sisters, in life and even in death. Death has, in this way, become for us the blessed end of sin and the entrance into eternal life. It became this because our Lord and Savior loved us so much that he willingly, willingly and continuously loving us, 
died our debt. And now by his resurrection of the dead, he opened for us the grave. So that one day we too may rise. And so body and soul united and joy to the full, a new life. To which he has opened the gates. And of which we now already may experience the beginning. Yes, we may already now by the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts enjoy those small victories over sin, find joy in living according to the will of God. It is true that we experience the joy here only in the beginning, but one day the bud of that flower will open up and bloom in full glory. And then we shall be with Christ forever. And at this forever we look now in our third point, the life everlasting. So the question is, what comfort do you receive from the article about the life everlasting? And then the answer begins with, since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy. And we just must stop here for a moment. Here the Catechism teaches us that we already here and now experience something of eternal joy. And with this, the Catechism is not telling that we as a believer have those moments that we experience heaven. is not what he says. No, the beginning of eternal joy is very, much, is very much to do with the work of the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit by faith makes us strive to become more and more holy. That's a goal. Eternal joy is very much because of the absence of sin. And of the absence of the results of sin. And the beginning of such joy is the victories we have over those sins. The victories which we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, may gain. In this life, we will only achieve the beginning of the holiness and the obedience we will have in full after this life. Here in this life, even the holiest of men will only have a small beginning of obedience and so the eternal joy that we experience is, only, is also only a small beginning of, of the eternal joy. But it's real joy. And it is really eternal, part of that eternal joy, the joy that we will have in eternity. It's part of that in the sense that, although not in full, but in this, in, in, in just like a, the bird of a flower, which later will come to full bloom. You see, if the beginning of such joy is that wonderful satisfaction we now at time may feel after a successful struggle against a certain sin. If the eternal joy is the assurance that our sins have really forgiven us and makes us sing praises, Eternal joy is the realization that our almighty God is our Father and makes us feel so serenely at peace. If the deep love we have for our Savior and our Heavenly Father can make us join the poet of Psalm 73 and with our hearts aglow saying, Whom have I in heaven but thee? Then how much more intense our satisfaction, how much more serene our peace how much more blessed our assurance and how much more warmer 
will our love be for him after this life? See what joy we already now experience at times. No, not always, because our sins can drive a wedge between us and our joy. But at times the joy is there and it is awesome, but it's only a beginning. Think about that. At those moments that you feel perfectly at peace with your Heavenly Father, the moment, just before you go to bed and you have looked back at a day, you confess your sins to Him, you may put your head on the pillow in peace, think about that joy, that peace. And it's only a small beginning of what will be. That's your future. And as sure as we now already experience the beginning of a joy, so sure will we one day ex experience in the, in the perfect way. Our catechism says that it is a blessedness such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived. It will be a blessedness that will cause us to praise God forever. Every moment. Every moment. We will not have to look for reasons to praise God. Our heart will be full of reasons. Our whole being will be full of reasons to praise Him. Our whole being will be full of joy, and it makes us praise Him. That's how it will be. That's the blessedness so says no eye has seen. So that's what the Catechism says. It will be a blessedness that will cause us to praise God forever. Our Father and His Son and our Savior will eternally not cease to give us such blessing, to give us such joy that we cannot and will not do anything else than to praise his name. The higher the praise, the greater the joy. Our Lord will eternally cause us to rejoice. And what a great future, brothers and sisters, awaits us. What a glorious hope that we have in all this. Because the Holy Spirit worked faith in our hearts. And he will continue to do so. Through times of weakness... He will strengthen it by the promises we have in Christ in times of hardship. He will assure us of the glory to come. And he will do so until hope becomes wonderful reality and all small beginnings becomes an abundance of perfect joy. Amen.